It is packed up in here, amen. I love the crowd. I, I love the crowd. I mean, for God, it's just so good. If you do not know, I am Valentine. I've probably been coming here ever since 2010. So it's been a journey. Uh, uh, it's been a unique and lovely relationship that I have with Solid Rock Church. And so, man, I praise God for what he's done with just us as a family, because we all are family. Uh, with that being said, uh, I'm, I've been at a church for about four years. It's in Midlothian, Stonegate. I was a, I planted a church back in 03, met Jason in 10. That church eventually dissolved. I uh, wanted to do more of a more, more of a, a more eth- multi-ethnic, multicultural church. And so I left that hope that they would find someone, did not. So that dissolved. I started the church, uh, this core group in Grand Prairie, met a guy named Rodney Hobbs, who was the pastor at Stonegate in Midlothian, talked me out of what I was doing to come where they were to do, uh, just to get equipped more and, um, and to become more healthy in what God had called us to. And so with all that being said, man, we are at the end of our time at Stonegate Church. Uh, that uh, that next month, actually, we're going to start uh, a church plant in Cedar Hill, uh, Texas. We had a, a small gathering last Saturday, and you'll see a pic of that. Uh, man, and man, just just invited a few people out, man, just to come and hang out and, and grab some lunch. About 85 people showed up. This is, this is yet to be announced at Stonegate, and so you, uh, hopefully there's more coming. But something is, is happening uh, in Cedar Hill, Texas. And you can see how God lavished us with his grace even on this event. I was uh, allowed to just man, share my heart and vision and mission of omni-fellowship. Uh, uh, man, and, man, and when I looked across the room, I think I, I started tearing up because God has taken this dude from Oak Cliff, Texas uh, to build a church that resembles now the kingdom later. Uh, we had about 45% African Americans. We had about 33% uh, whites and about 22% Hispanics. We're praying for an Asian influence also. What is unique about this endeavor is this, that there's a church plant in Cedar Hill that decided to dissolve and come join us. They were unable to gain any traction in Cedar Hill. And they was praying for an African-American influence to come in and to help them uh, get their church down, uh, down the road. Uh, they, they prayed this in March. I called in May. I pray that I get a Hispanic and or white guy to come help me and and get beside this brother from Oak Cliff, man, so that we can reach Cedar Hill and beyond. They decided in May to join us. They're going to have their last service the end of this month, and we're going to start August 14th, Omni Fellowship Core Group. Maybe you're asking, why is he sharing this with us? I'm glad to ask. Uh, Solid Rock, through prayer and consideration, you guys have decided to help. 
you have you guys have d- decided to support a brother from from Oak Cliff, not only with your prayers but also with your cash. We need cash, amen. And can I just say thank you? That man, you know, man, it's going to take God doing a plethora of miracles in order for this church plant to get off the ground and to be what he wanted to be. But I thank you, and I, and I, and I ask that you would continue to pray for us. Uh, this journey will, will not be easy. We're not. We all know that. Uh, that we all have to lay aside our preferences in order for me to, to advance the kingdom of God. And so, uh, with all that said, I told them, man, and man, they, now, it was not in the plan to have one or more of these events, but it was such a hit to them. They asked us, can we do one more in July? They want to invite friends of a sort. And so, again, uh, we, I am, we are considering that again. That was a lot of money that we don't have and a lot of work in this event, man. And so, uh, man, God is doing a glorious work uh, in our hearts. And so, again, I want to thank you, praise God for you, and please, man, keep Omni Fellowship, small church plant in Cedar Hill, Texas, uh, on your hearts and in your prayers, okay? With that being said, there's a video that we're going to show you, and then I will come up and I will proclaim the gospel for at least 22 minutes. I grew up in Weatherford, Texas. My mother and father divorced when I was probably one or two years old, and my father remarried and moved away. Um, my mom never remarried. Um, grew up. My mother's side of the family was um, very strict uh, Pentecostal. My granddad had been a Pentecostal preacher for 70 years. Very traditional, very uh, Old Testament style upbringing where it's very works based didn't really get a lot of encouragement or what I would call unconditional love from from either side of the family. It was more you can do better or that wasn't your best or you know it's almost like you had to work um, jump through hoops to try to reach their acceptance. My dad passed away when I was 21 years old and uh, we weren't close at all. At his funeral, uh, I basically felt no emotion. It was like there was a stranger there in that casket. And my grandmother actually, my dad's mom, she she seemed upset with me or put off with me. Um, basically, the cold shoulder at, at this luncheon. And so I, I went up to her privately and I said, you know, Granny, is everything okay? I mean, I know this is a horrible day, but it just seems like you're upset with me. And she says, well, Weston, she says, you know, I was just really don't understand how you could show no emotion at, at your own father's funeral. And I said, well, Granny, 
you know, the man never told me he loved me, never told me he was proud of me. I can't even remember him ever calling me his, his son. And she thought about it for a, a minute and she said, well, Weston, you just never lived up to his expectations of you. And so I thought for a minute, I, I'd always known this and felt this my entire life, but I said, you know, Granny, do you think he lived up to mine? You know, so basically this is, is how I was brought up. This is how, you know, how I was even treating my son now, you know, up until uh, just a, probably a few years ago. We started coming to Solid Rock back in 2012. And uh, I was really drawn in by the, the content and the sermons every Sunday. Uh, we'd been visiting for about a month or so and show up one Sunday and there was a guest speaker and um, I was really taken back by this guest speaker and um, when he started preaching uh, he was talking about, his sermon was about unconditional love. He went on to say that once he became a father he finally understood what unconditional love was that there's nothing that his daughter could do um, no way could she mess up to be any less in his eyes. And he could never love her any less. And and uh, this was all new to me. I had never um, witnessed this type of love before. And um, this was all a new concept to me. For him to compare that to God's love for us, that there's nothing that we can do that we need to do to gain his approval or nothing that we can do to make him love us any more or any less. This just started, I started thinking about my relationships, um, how I saw people, how I judged people uh, unfairly because of the color of their skin or because of um, they, if, how they dressed. I feel like, you know, Valentine's preaching, uh, ironically, the message that he presented that day spoke more clearly to me than if, if Jason or anyone else would have delivered that message because of the, uh, basically the prejudice that I had uh, for him before I even met the guy, before I, he even started speaking. Um, I think that spoke deeper into what was wrong with me and, you know, what was wrong with how I was living my life to that point. In this process, in this redemption process of me working on myself and working through uh, the issues that, that I know where I was broken inside, um, at first it came clear to me that up until you know, 34 years old, just like my parents, I had never done anything for anyone besides myself. I'd never helped someone just for the sake of, of helping someone in need. It was always about my needs and, and what, you know, I had time for, or what was, uh, 
what was good for me or for my future. And so in this process, I've gone on mission trips. I've looked for ways to, to help other people uh, and not for any other reason except to show them love and to help someone, to love someone like Jesus would love someone. You know, since that day um, where I realized where my disconnect was um, with God, um, you know, I, I still mess up. I still don't get things right. So what works for me is I make almost like a mental list of, of things that I need to work on with myself and pray about and to really try to practice in my everyday life. But I'm thankful that, that now I feel like I've been given a second chance as far as to, to build uh, positive relationships and to raise my children um, better than, than how I was raised. My name is Weston Stevens, and this is my redemption story. So Father, with that, we thank you that you are sovereign and gracious and good God. We pray that today that the Spirit of God would have his way in this room and in our hearts. We pray that this unconditional love that you have displayed to all of us will move in such a way that it would control us. Father, we thank you. And I pray now, God, just for grace for those who are here to hear your word. I pray you give me grace to speak with conviction and clarity the gospel of Jesus Christ. I ask it in your son's name. Amen. It is uh, fitting that that video would be sh shown on this morning. That when they asked me that it was just, again, uh, in God's sovereignty that West would be speaking about this unconditional love that I myself have had to grow in. Man, when you think about this unconditional love, man, my question is to you today, for those of us who've experienced this love, how has that love changed you? How have you experiencing this unconditional love that we see in Scripture, even to where the Bible says, in love, Christ, God, he predestined us to be uh, adopted as sons according to his will through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that, that our salvation, that our adoption had nothing to do with us in eternity. That before God put the moon on its shift and the sun on its shift, God in love, he predestined us to be sons and daughters of his, adopted through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, we did nothing for it, and we can do nothing uh, 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 against it for him to love us in such a way. And Paul, he had this idea in mind when he, was, when he wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus. 
Paul, in the first three chapters of Ephesians, he's trying to persuade them of God's love for them. Paul, in his... In the first few verses, he's, he's talking about how God saved and adopted them. Then he breaks out and he breaks out praying in the midst of this letter and at the end of chapter 1. Paul in chapter 2 gets back on doctrine again. He reminds us of our state, that, that, that because of sin, we were dead in our trespasses, that we were dead to the things of God, and how God in his grace and mercy, he saved us. If you drop down in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul begins to reveal the mystery of the gospel. How God, even in Genesis 12, had in plan, had in plan, had in mind to bring the Jews and Gentiles together through the gospel of Jesus Christ, a mystery revealed. Paul gets back in chapter 3 talking about the church. He talks about how, how it is to display the beauty and majesty of Christ. And today I want to talk to you about this, the second prayer that Paul prayed in the book of Ephesians. It's like Paul, he's writing and praying. He's writing and praying because he wants this message to hit home with the church at Ephesus. Paul breaks out in this letter and says this. He says, for this reason, again, we're going back to the mystery. We're going back to the goodness and grace found in the gospel of Christ. We're going back to how God in, in this has called Jews and Gentiles to, to become one. That, he, that God sent his son to die on the cross to make the two, the Jews who are on the inside and the Gentiles on the outside, to make them one and to worship God together. Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to his riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power by his spirit in, he says, in the inner man. Paul goes on to say that, 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 that so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you've been rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth of this love, he says. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you be filled with all the fullness of God. I want to talk about three things out of this, out of this text, and I will take my seat. This love that Paul talks about in, in Ephesians 1, about how we've been adopted, Paul wants to flesh out and make sure that the church at Ephesus, he, he, they really get his message. This prayer also assumes that the Christian life is not, that, 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 that it's not guaranteed, that, 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 that though you are saved, there is, there is some engagement, there is some involvement with the Spirit of God and, and the gospel of God that has to happen for, uh, for the Christian as a whole to enjoy the Christian life. 
this prayer we'll see later on, it's not about coming to Christ. It's about growing in Christ. Paul, in order to get this across, he prays, for this reason I bow my, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, I know that since you're at this church, you know your Bibles. But it was customary for Jews back then to stand while praying. That rarely did you find someone kneeling on their knees to pray. And when you did find someone kneeling on their praise, there was an angst going on in their spirit. So Paul, who, who is the penman of this letter, he said, I am bound my knees. I'm, I, 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 I'm worshiping God the Father. Because there is a deep concern in my heart. So I'm, so, so I'm going to bow my knees be, before the Father, who is the Father of every family in heaven and on earth. I'm going to be, see, I'm going to ask this God, this, this, this God who happens to be my father, I'm going to ask him a request according to his riches and glory that he would strengthen the church at Ephesus. Now, now, now this, 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 this is good because we're going to find out later on why is Paul praying such that Paul is asking God for spiritual strength for the church at Ephesus. He's saying, God, I, I need you to give them strength, but, 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 but look at who? Who? Through your spirit. I'm not asking you to give them strength from the outside. I'm asking you to give strength from the inside from God the Spirit who dwells in every believer. I'm asking you to give them strength to that to that portion, to that, to, to that spirit that, that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, you quickened. So I'm asking that the spirit of God will quicken the, the spirit of man to give them strength for, for the request that Paul is going to make in this chapter uh, of, of Ephesians. He said, Father, I need you to grant, I need you to, to grace, to, to give them this, this, this spiritual strength. Now, this, this request is going to feed into the other things that Paul asked for. That without this request, what Paul is going to mention later on in this chapter will not happen. So Paul, he's, he's praying that God the Father would grant them a spiritual strength through his spirit and, uh, uh, in their inner man. For what, he says, for what? See, see here, y'all, here's, here's my fear. Here's what, here's what I've noticed. Man, the church for so long we have neglected. We have put aside, we've put aside, we've casted aside the Holy Spirit. We're in the age of the Holy Spirit now where he is the one who is applying the work of salvation to everyone who comes to Jesus. One scholar has this to say about uh, this Holy Spirit, that the person and personality of the Holy Spirit has been subject to neglect through the centuries of the Christian church and is seldom understood by 20th century Christians. He's just not talked about. Now know this, it is that, that the Spirit has 
a lot of roles. But his primary role is to make much of Jesus. So I'm not saying that when we talk about Christ that we're not talking about the spirit. But what I am saying that Paul realizes that there is an active role of, of the Holy Spirit that is needed for the Christians to grab hold of what Paul is going to pray for in in this chapter, he says that I'm asking that you give them spiritual strength through your, uh, 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 through your spirit in the inner man for this reason, that, so that Christ may dwell in their hearts. He's not asking that Christ may enter in, but that Christ may dwell in, take residence, make his abode, settle down in. Picture of this is, my wife and I moved in, into a house in August of 2014. August. Now, we're in the house, but we haven't settled in the house yet. There, there are still boxes and rooms. And I, I know y'all all understand where I'm coming from, that you can be in a house or in a home, yet not be settled in a home. You still got pictures to put up, walls to paint, and it's taking you five, ten years. So you're really not at home. It's your home. But you haven't settled down in it. Here's what he's saying. Christ is in you, but he hasn't settled down in every area of your life. He isn't abiding. He, he, he isn't comfortable. You haven't made him comfortable in every area of your life. And y'all, let's be real. We all got some issues that we've yet to let Christ come and take domain in. And Paul is saying, listen, this love, this unconditional love that he, that he exposed to us pre-eternity, man, listen to me, this love is that man that, 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 that once you receive and believe that Christ now who you've been placed in wants to now take full control over your life. Can I ask you a question? Has Christ, does Christ have more control, does the love of Christ have more control over your life now than it did last year? Have you grown in this love for Christ that Paul is going to talk about? Paul is saying, I'm praying that Christ would dwell in such a way that he make his abode in your life that he continues to grow and to grow in your life. And then here's, man, the thing that I love about this is that so Christ, so now you dwell in Christ and you've been placed in Christ and now Christ said, I, I, I want to now take full control of you. And then the next portion of this verse says, so that, so that you've been rooted and grounded in love. Watch this. Christ is dwelling because God in his love for you, he planted you in Christ. He gave you Christ as your foundation that Christ may dwell in you. He's done it all for us. 
God is saying, in love, when I saved you, I planted you in my son, gave him, gave him you as, uh, as a foundation, a rock, your stability, that he may now begin to dwell in you. So you have God the Father who plants you, God the Father who gives you Christ as the foundation. Now he's asking the Spirit of God to, to, to make Christ, to, to allow Christ to spread in the lives of my sons and daughters. All of this is on God. All we have to do is submit. Humble ourselves under his mighty hand. Humble ourselves to his word and the leading of the Spirit. And the Bible says that, man, Christ will make his abode, his dwelling in you. Are there areas in your life where Christ really is not taking control of yet? Paul is so serious about this thing. He said he, he falls on his knees, prays that God the Father would give them strength through God the Spirit, that God the Son would dwell, and, not, and that God the Father, he planted, he, he gave them the foundation of Christ in love for all of this to happen. In love. This last part is, but why? Why is Paul praying to God the Father that God the Spirit would give them the ability to, for Christ, for God the Son to dwell? Look what he says. This author has this to say just this, uh, uh, about this idea. He says, the indwelling Christ is the source of the Christian's spiritual strength. This is, of course, not to set aside the Holy Spirit, but he, he has read his New Testament too little purpose who would separate the Holy Spirit in Christ. Christ abides in the heart by the Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the means of the indwelling of Christ, and the two are one in the same, in the same great fact. In short, what Paul is praying, what, 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 what Warfield is saying is that Paul is praying that his readers would enjoy an intimate fellowship with the Lord provided by the Father empowered by the Spirit of God. Are you enjoying your relationship with Jesus? Is it, or do you feel like it's a necessity that, that, that you're doing it out of, out of necessity and not joy? I found that even in times in my life, I don't enjoy reading my Bible. That I don't enjoy loving strangers. I don't enjoy inviting my neighbor to my house with his feet on my couch. I don't enjoy these things. But when Christ begins to dwell and to make his abode man, my things become his things. My life becomes his life. And this is after I spend time with God and I realize that God, that, 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 that the spirit of God, when I'm praying and reading my Bible, he wants Christ to dwell, to grow in essence in my life. 
Christians, brothers and sisters, there's more to be had of Christ now than there was last year. And we're called daily to grow into, to grow that Christ may dwell one day in all of us. And please know that will never happen until he calls you home or he returns. We are to spend our lives wanting Christ to dwell. What is the end result? Here it is in verse 18. That they may have strength to, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. I've come to find out, to find out that me attempting to grow in my love and to apprehend Christ's love in isolation does not happen well. The vision of Solid Rock to have home groups, to have community, to do life, y'all. There is, there is an opportunity for the world to see our love for him displayed on each other. That you can't, that you cannot practice love on yourself. That the Bible does say that we are called to do two things. That is to love God and love people. It knows we are going to love ourselves. But, 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 but this love that we have for God, this, this unconditional love that we, have, uh, that we have received from God, he said, no, you need to make practice of it on other people. Y'all, listen, and, 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 and listen to this. He says that no matter how much we know the love of God, there will always be room to go. Paul is praying that we will actually know the unknowable. He says that this love of Christ, it is, it surpasses knowledge. Paul is praying that, that, that this church, that, 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 that they grasp the ungraspable, they apprehend the, the inapprehensible. We would never know on this side how much God loves us. We'll never know the, 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 the breadth, the height, and the length and depth of his love. We would never know, but Paul is praying that we spend our lives ascertaining this love of Jesus. I wonder, are you asking God, is there help me to grow? Help me to grow in the love of Jesus Christ. See, I think Wes got it. Wes, like even myself, was prejudiced. But there's no way you can experience this unconditional love and not give it and, and practice on someone who does not look, sound, talk, or even think like you. See, this unconditional love, it leans into accepting people just as God in Christ accepted you. 
See, man, when, man, when, when I'm beginning to do life with other people, man, when, who don't look like, who don't sound like, who don't talk like me, man, what I'm getting the opportunity and the privilege to do is to exercise this love of Jesus on someone else. See, Paul is praying that they would give strength uh, to comprehend with all the saints what is this love. Are you spending your life growing in trying to apprehend this love of God? I think this is a, this, that, that I love, according to John 13, it is a mark that distinguishes believers. How will the world know that we are his disciples? by how we love one another. It is not good enough to receive this unconditional love and not give it to others. But we give it more the more we grow in this love for Jesus. It says that the ultimate goal of Paul's request was that the readers might be so full of knowledge and appreciation for God that they might allow Christ to control them fully. How do you get to the point where you are filled with the knowledge of God? By growing in the love of Christ. That's Paul's point that the more you grow in Christ's love for you, the more you will be filled and you will find fullness in God's, uh, uh, in the knowledge of God. See, there is no fullness of God without a loving of Christ. So you have to, the more you love Christ, the more you grow in the fullness of God. You you cannot separate the, the two. If you want to be full in God or, or to experience the force of God, you have to experience and exercise the love of Christ on other people and just not yourselves. It comes to the point that when this love is so strong, Paul says it, says it like this in 2 Corinthians 5, 14. He says, for the love of Christ control, it, it, it constrains me. Because we have decided on this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all. Why? So that those who live might not live for themselves, but for him who for their sake, he says, died and was raised. How do you know? that you are living, that that you are growing in the love of Christ, it constrains, it controls your activities, your attitudes, and your words. This love of Christ, it controlled Paul. Does your love for Christ control you? Does this unconditional that Wes talked about, does it, has it gripped you to the point where it controls what you say, how you think, and what you do? 
See, that is the greatest motivator, man. That, man, because I'm growing in this, you know, and, and, and I think just for me, this is why I landed where I landed in regards of, of a church plant. My heart is to plant churches that plant churches that have a multi-ethnic, multicultural feel. I think the Bible, the gospel has informed me to do just that. I want to come to a place where the world will come and see the love of God displayed, exercised on people in this world. That's why I think, man, God, this is my greatest motivator for this. I have for you one quote. Now, y'all, this quote is long. So bear with me. But it's going to convey what really what all that all the I want to say regarding this, this love of Christ. He says, the secret of the early Christians, the early Protestants, Puritans, and Methodists, was that they were taught about the love of Christ. And they became filled with the knowledge of it. Once a man has the love of Christ in his heart, you need not to train him to witness, to love his wife, his family, or neighbor. He will do it. He will know the power the constraint, the motive, everything is already there. The servants of God who, who, who most adorn the life in the history of the Christian church have always been men who have realized that this is the most important thing of all. That they have spent hours in prayer seeking his face in enjoying his love. When you're reading your Bible, when you're in your private time with God, are you seeking his face? Can I ask you, are you enjoying this life-giving relationship that you have with God the Father? Are you enjoying it? He goes on to say, the man who knows the love of Christ in his heart can do more in one hour than the busy type of man can do in a century. I've had to ask myself, why do I love my neighbor? Why do I love my wife? Why am I so bent on loving people who don't look, talk, think, even dress like me? Is it to make a name for myself that people talk about me? Or is it that they may talk about my father who is in heaven? See, I think in these private times, man, God begins to deal with our hearts. He begins to change our motivations. Why do we preach? Why do we sing? Why do we serve? 
Is it out of a love for Christ or a love for self? It's either or. Are we coming to church as a checkoff or out of enjoyment of my relationship with Jesus? Why do we give? Is it out of a love for Christ or that I may feel good? See, see, Jones finishes out, finished this man with this. God forbid that we should ever make of activity an end of itself. Let us realize that the motive must come first, and that motive must ever be the love of Christ. This unconditional love that we receive for salvation, it grows into a love for the one who died for us. And y'all, that love for Christ is to forever be while we're on this side of heaven. My prayer is this, that you spend your life Growing in, allowing the Spirit of God to grow your love for Christ that surpasses your ability to understand. Father, we thank you. And we love you. It is out of a deep reverence for you, God, that concern for others, they well up. That because of Paul's worship and adoration of his Father in heaven, he had deep concern for others. And his main concern was that all that he taught them in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 would leave them wanting to grow and to be controlled by the love of Christ, which is in essence the fullness of God, knowing and experiencing the fullness of God. I pray that those of us in this room who are saved, that Christ will begin to dwell, abide more and more and more that the world might see this love and, and, and ask, why, why do you do it? Why do you serve? Why do you give? Why do you speak? Why do you react? Why do you do what you do? I pray that our motivation is because of my love for Jesus. Why do, do you love your enemies? Because when I was an enemy with Christ, he sent his son. When I, when I was an enemy with God, he sent his son to die. Why do you help the helpless? Because when I was helpless, he sent his son to die to make me strong in him. Why do we do it? I pray that we're able to decree one day what Paul decreed. It is the love of Christ that constrains me. 
happens. I don't have to pray about being a better father, a better mother, a better spouse, a better co-worker, a better servant. That when his love constrains me, that will happen. Father, I pray that the Spirit of God would do with this sermon what I cannot do. Move us. Draw us. <laughs>